Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed Him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Once again, thank you for uh, surfing in to Where Are We Going, uh, the weekly Spirit Watch Ministries podcast that we do. And uh, once again, this is this is uh, Pastor Raphael here at, at the microphone here. And I also have a very special guest with us today who's, who's going to be sharing with us a little more about her story and her journey out through the wilderness of what we now call, or what we now know as the, the Xenos slash Dwell movement in Columbus, Ohio, which is starting to finally get long overdue attention on, on, its, on its doings. And uh, we have a, a, a young woman by the name of Jessica, and we're going to be having her uh, share with us today. And Jessica, it's 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 a pleasure to meet you and finally have you here uh, on a podcast today. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm um. I'm grateful for um, your your um, podcast here and the work that you're doing, and I'm looking forward to discussing all with you today. Great, fantastic! Well, well, tell us a little more about yourself. Uh, how how long were you involved with Xenos, and and uh, how did you get involved? And uh, a little, just a little bit about where you're at right now, and uh, what you're doing, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Okay. Um, so I was born in Xenos in 87, um, and I my first memories of Xenos uh, were back in the warehouse days, uh, running across the parking lot from building to building. Um, <clears throat> I went to their Xenos going at Calumet Christian School uh, from preschool, kindergarten, and first grade. Um, and I just really kind of grew up in the church. I got super involved in, in junior high. Um, and I was in until the last time I was in the building, um, was in 2007. So, um, I was in for, you know, about 20 years of my life. Um, and I'll just say that, um, when I became, super involved in junior high. Um, my experience was that I, um, I ended up becoming I, my, the first time I ever started teaching at the larger meetings was in seventh grade. Um, I started leading um, a, a, a bush group, what they call a bush group after school. It's an after school group. Mm. Um, that would meet at my house in eighth grade. Um, and so I was, uh, involved in their leadership team. I started taking their leadership training courses. Um, so which is called LTC. Um, and I was also taking 
seminary classes at night through a messianic temple. Um, and wow. so um, really, really getting involved there in, in, in their uh, extracurricular activity there. And so, so was, is that something that generally that uh, was seen to be the, the goal for people in Xenos? I mean, for, for them to have their children pursue that kind of a, uh, that kind of path. Yes. Um, Xenos is very focused on, they call themselves a replicating church and their goal is to replicate, replicate, replicate. Um, Dennis is well known for saying in teachings that if you want to find a family friendly church, go find one. There's a million of them. But here in this church, we, we replicate. We're a replicating church. And so the goal mm-hmm. in, within Xenos is to consistently bring up leaders and then replicate other leaders so that you can grow the church. Wow. Um, that is the focus. Wow. Um, and I am only, I, I just wanted to kind of bring those things up because I, I think that, that there is a, a party line that kind of gets spun by them when people speak out that people are kind of, that these are just kind of fringe people um, or that they were dealing with, um, you know, lower level, maybe spiritually immature people um, that they were hurt by. And uh, in my experience, that is not the case. Um, the people that I know who have left have dealt with upper leadership. And so I think that this this narrative that people haven't been that involved or don't really know how um, the Xenos culture works is just intentionally dishonest. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's certainly what it has seemed in the, in the time that we've been uh, interacting with other survivors and, and just by reading and studying some of the things that Xenos has produced over the past, well, almost 50 years it's been around. Uh, it, it just seems that, like you said, they, they have, they, they definitely have a mission, all right. It's definitely one focused upon, upon a perpetuation of the organization mm-hmm. at the expense of the organism within. Uh, it okay. sounds to me like, like people are, are just really, uh, means to an end. And, uh, and then maybe that's been, I think, in our discussion before we got here, that, that, that certainly sounds like that was part of uh, a lot of your, uh, your initial struggles. Uh, in, in terms of trying to reconcile what you saw, uh, with what you heard and what you were taught. Right. Exactly. So, what else did you see? I mean, as you grew up, obviously as someone very, very involved, very, very, uh, in, 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 uh, immersed in the, the entire culture. As a matter of fact, I think it's a term called Xenos babies. Uh, that seems to be quite, yes. I hear people, people are basically generational. Uh, with probably what, two or three generations on, um, what does a Xenos baby look forward to seeing? Okay, from the time they're, I mean, your parents obviously felt they were doing the right thing and were, were trying very hard, I guess, in their own way to bring to you, uh, what they felt was, 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 uh, the best way you, that you could live. Um, mm-hmm. and every parent of certainly, I, I know Xenos certainly feels that way. Uh, there's, there's no faulting in any of that. Uh, but what, what, what does a Xenos baby typically expect to, to be received by as they grow up? What, what sort of, uh, uh, influences, what sort of teaching, what sort of, you know, what, what kind of, what kind of direction, uh, does, does the, the curricula and all that you do, uh, really, uh, kind of point them towards? 
Um, yeah, so, so in your elementary years, you're going to go through Oasis, um, and, and that's more of like a typical what other people in other churches kind of curriculum. Right. Um, more right. of like a Sunday school type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you hit junior high, that's when things start to really turn up. Okay. Um, okay. you're going to, you're going to join us, a, a cell group or a home church. Um, which is a, it's a small group that'll meet on one night and then you're going to, um, be expected to go to the larger group, the, the C, they call them MCP, Central Teachings. Um, and, and then the more involved that you become as you become leaders or student leaders, et cetera, um, you're going to start being discipled by, um, someone older than you. Um, and then, and so you're going to meet with them one night, you're going to, um, you know, maybe join the leadership team, uh, which will meet occasionally, you're going to, you're going to be going to prayer groups, um, and these are, so your, your week becomes, starts to become very stacked, um, where you're spending a lot of time with Xenos, and and so what I think that they have a real danger of is that then it becomes this kind of echo chamber. You don't have time to really do much other than Xenos work. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of emphasis on, on being that, that Xenos is doing is, is what is where God has blessed um, Columbus. Um, you will start to see uh, lots of pressure to evangelize, 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 um, mm-hmm. to grow the group. Um, and then specifically, you're, you're also there, they have their, like Tom Dixon, who was a, an elder and he was over student ministries and Joe Body, who was over student ministries. Um, they have papers and teachings where they, explain that beginning in junior high that they're starting to communicate to young, you know, middle schoolers through the high school um, that that you're that the most important thing is to build your eternal rewards. And so some of that is going to look like making Xenos the priority and your ministry in Xenos, the priority. Um, specifically, they will tell you that, uh, we shouldn't be, that if, that if your extracurriculars, uh, or your, your grades, um, are getting in the way of your ministry and your work at Xenos, then those things are the ones that should be sacrificed. So mm-hmm. do you really need to pursue an A? in this class or could you just get by with a C because you need more time to evangelize and be out at meetings, etc. cetera. Yeah. Um, that is in their doctrine and that's starting very young. Um, it, and then beginning in seventh grade, you start just to see they, they have curriculum that's on their website right now where they discuss God's view of sex for girls and God's view of sex for boys um, they're four-week curriculums, and you can see a real difference when you look at the boys versus the girls, where 
Um, girls are told, don't be a stupid girl. A guy wants to respect you. Um, but if you let him do anything, he's not going to. Um, they start to speak about how boys view girls as sexual objects. Um, and, and they essentially kind of put all of the blame on, um, girls if a boy were to lust. And then for the, in the boys curriculum, it says, don't worry, lust is, it's normal. Everybody has problems with it and, and God wants to give you a hot life. There's just this very different tone yeah. in the way that people are being taught and it, and it starts very young. Um, <clears throat> Yeah. Wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, that sounds, that sounds about par for the course. So they were perpetuating very specific gender role stereotypes as well as a worldview surrounding them, uh, right. from a very early age. I mean, when, when did you first, okay, when, when did you, what can you remember first hearing that, that, that was the sort of thing they, that there was a specific way uh, they wanted you to live. Can you remember what, how old you were? Um, it would have been sixth grade. Um, so I would have been 11. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, yep. Yeah. That's always the most formative time too. Yeah. And you know, at that point, when you're six, seven years old, you know, that's already, I mean, by the time a child's five years old, their, you know, their basic personality is established, you know, but, but that, but that point on, a lot can, a lot can change in that. And that's, and, and when you're just prior to, prior to puberty, starting to hear that, that really can become so terribly effective. So, uh, what, now, was this something that, and, and of course, if this was an entirely top down pressure, uh, how were your parents teaching? What did, obviously they, they, went along with it and and how did it affect uh how they raised you? Um interesting question. I think I I don't know that my parents uh, we've discussed it actually as now that I'm an adult. Um my parents they joined as adults, right? right. Um and so they weren't aware of the curriculum that was being taught in specificity. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think that they were just, they saw that I was excited and very into and, and committed to the church. And they saw that as a good thing um, okay. because I loved God. Mm-hmm. But they, I don't think that they um, understood the dynamics of of the high control that's already being implemented right. um, in in that young age, if that makes any sense. No, no it does, um, because because what I'm saying, if they joined as adults, like you said, they probably weren't as sensitized to that top-down mandate, whereas if they, if they let's say they were Xenos babies, let's say they were raised up in that, I would imagine that, they're, that they may have been actually been more... Uh, apt to, or more inclined towards that kind of uh that kind of um of programming on you to make make things even more rigid so maybe right. that was a, a really kind of a kind of a mixed blessing there so 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 obviously this was something that you know you felt was 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 really good for you and, and you really put your heart and soul into it and you really were someone that i just you know of course as any young 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 uh young child would and, and wanting to, to get ahead in the world and get ahead and understanding things that they, you, you, you embrace it fully and you, and you become really uh, zealous for that. So, um, 
what were some of the things that you saw that maybe didn't start adding up to you? I mean, at some point, you know, everyone starts to see this. Who and and uh, what were at what point did you start seeing uh, some of the some of the bumps in the road uh, that just seemed uh, a little bit out of step? Um. Yeah. So I think that there were things that I noted that I was uncomfortable with, um, but it wasn't until I had. Uh, at this point, I had been a, a very much a, a yes man. Yes, I will take on more. Yes, I will do more. Yes, I will lead here. Yes, I will teach here. Whatever you need from me, because I'm I'm trusting my leadership, my adult leadership, that they have the best intentions right. for me. Um, and until there was a there was a personal issue that had happened in my life um, where I I was a, a victim of something and. The church got involved and they handled it very poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the first time that I was like, whoa, I don't agree with the leadership decisions and the way mm-hmm. this is being handled in the aftermath. Um, and I addressed the issues. These were, these were issues that I didn't want other people to know. So right. it wasn't that I was going around and, and spreading these things to other people. I was speaking directly with upper leadership. And I was told that the elders had made the decision on this, that the elders had spoken about me, and that I needed to to get kind of just get in line and drop it. I needed to agree that what they did was how they were handling it was correct. and if I were to continue to say that what they did was wrong, that that would be considered disloyal dissent. Now I would have been like 14 years old at this time. And I was, I was, I was young and I was some, it was, um, it was a traumatic situation and I should have been being comforted and supported. Instead, I was being told um, to focus on, um, serving other people, serving the church and ignore the suffering that I was feeling. Um, and so once I, once that happened, I, I, it took me a few months of this going back and forth. And I thought, I I just genuinely don't agree with how this is handled. And so once that, once that critical thinking still kind of kicked on, um, I started to kind of view things a little bit differently. Um, and well, but, but, I, let me ask you about that. Let me let's just stop there for a minute. Let, and let me ask you something about that. You had been, like you said, a, a, a just a very, you know, very assenting, very, very meek, very compliant young young woman, uh, young girl, following mm-hmm. along with who you thought were, were, were God's, you know, appointed teachers and, and influences in your life, and and you ran across a situation that pushed you completely outside those boundaries. You they, they put you completely beyond all of that, and for the first time, you began thinking for yourself began connecting your experiences and your own feelings with what was going on and what you were being presented. Uh, that was a big moment uh, in any, and that's a big moment for anyone's life to, to, you know, to come to. But when you came to that and you finally began feeling that what had happened 
was was wrong. Afterwards, what what kind of doubts did you feel? Did you did you did you tend to feel like, well, maybe you were doubting, maybe you should have been more obedient, maybe you should have been more of this, more of that? Uh, what was that moment like? Can can you can you reflect on that? Yeah, um, I I do think that that I probably ran the gamut of gambit of um, of emotions with that that um i i think that in some ways that you that i almost kind of struggled with um gaslighting myself that maybe my perception is wrong because i'm not agreeing with all of the leadership decisions mm-hmm. blindly um that that if i'm the only one who has a problem with this that maybe I'm I'm the one who's wrong, mm-hmm. um, even though I I I knew that I wasn't. Um, so I, I'm struggling to kind of align that with with my own experience. Um, and I I think I also really struggled to feel. I felt kind of a sense of. I don't know, just dis- disappointment or betrayal that um i'm I'm trusting people in these leadership to really be pursuing God, and they aren't willing to listen to me mm-hmm. um, right and so how do I just trying to reconcile how I trust the leadership blindly again right. Right. Um, and i I appreciate you sharing that because that's so important in understanding when you're confronted in abuse, in a situation like that in Xenos or any other abusive movement, any other cultic movement, when you're, con- when, when a, when a member is confronted with an outrage that really, really absolutely, um, levels them and, and starts to gain the sink of, uh, for themselves, there's always this, this overwhelming mix and storm of thought and emotions because they're, because what they're doing is they're recovering basic autonomy, you know, basic self-determination. They're trying to figure out how, how do I reconcile what I've just been confronted with, with, with how I want to live and how I feel I should be treated. Mm-hmm. And that's so huge, uh, in, in, in understanding how cults control people. Uh, I appreciate your sharing on that because that's that's an important point. I, I think a lot of people are going to, to hearken to because a lot of people are told just to trust and and and, and just trust the leaders um, uh, completely. Uh, ignore your own feelings. You know, if you have any doubt, it's, it's because you're, you're you're struggling because you have some sort of spiritual issue. Uh, when in, in essence, what you're doing is basically, you know, recapturing authenticity in your life. You're, you're, you're seeing, you're being real and, and the situation is not. It's, it's, you're being pushed into situations that, that, that you shouldn't be in. And, and, and a lot of people, I think, uh, who, who are at the point of considering their involvement with, with, with groups like this or in situations like this, sometimes you just need to hear that. You need to understand that you're not alone, okay? Just because yeah. you just because you think for yourself doesn't mean that you're you've, you've committed the second unforgivable sin. So, so, so thank you for sharing on that. I, I, you can you can continue. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but but that was yeah. a great point. And I was hoping you could just maybe share a little more about what what, what was some of the other, as I said, pumps in the road that uh, 
uh, began uh, began to rock uh, your your world there, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, um, and just while I'm thinking of it, you said you mentioned aut- autonomy. Um, the Dennis has a teaching that's still on the on the site that people can look up, where he talks about how um, autonomy is a form of rebellion against God, um, and he mm-hmm. has that as a bullet point. Yeah, um, and that we are required to submit to um, our spiritual leaders in the church. And and so that I think that, that there's just this culture that if you disagree with something, you can you can kindly bring it up, but if you if your leadership tells you no, you're you're still wrong, then your decision is either to get out of the church or submit. Those are the only two options. Wow. Uh, and and then there's a there's a ton of conversation mm-hmm. about how our feelings lie. Um, and that we need to, to trust and, and, and be anchored in truth. And so I think that that is then misapplied in a lot of situations where you're, you're saying, oh my gut, this doesn't, in my gut, this doesn't feel right. Right. And, and you're being told not to trust your own feelings, uh, but to tr- trust the truth of your leaders, if, if that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. Um, because they're doing the thinking for you. Your, your feelings right. don't matter. Um, right. that, that's, that's a classic, as I've mentioned it before in our last podcast with, um, with Shauna. That's a classic, uh, uh, sign of cultic mind control. It's called doctrine over person. It, it, it's, it's, it's part of what Dr. Lifton, James, uh, Dr. Robert Lifton, who created these, these criteria years and years ago, mentioned as, as our eight signs that, that this is what's going on, that there's actually thought reform or, 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 the, or, the, or the pressure to transform your thinking. What it looks like, what Dodge Over Person basically says is that, um, is, is exactly what you're describing is that the, the, the doctrine and, and the, the dogma, the belief system, the commands, uh, they are there to take precedence over whatever feelings you might have about it or whatever, whatever cost it might, it might reek of you. You know, it just means that, that what you say, what you feel is, is immaterial. It's, it's not important. It's, it's, the, it's that the doctrine itself is flawless. The authority is divine. You can't question it. You've got to obey it without question, right. and that's exactly that, that's exactly that's what I'm saying. It, ma- it makes total sense. <laughs> you can go ahead. I'm sorry. You just had no. a great point. You just had a great point. I just had to kind of highlight this. Thank you. No, I appreciate. Um. So yeah. So once that happened, I I, I kind of came to this decision that um th- this I'm just saying this was my own internal monologue at this point where I said. You know, I love the people that are in this church, and and I do. I I genuinely think that a lot of the people in the church, most of the people in the church, are doing what they think is best. Sure, um, absolutely. Um, As in all uh, cults, all cults, all, that's what they all are. Everyone is there with the best of intentions. Nobody nobody goes out to just like like, like uh, ch- you know eat children or or you know <laughs> spray or, or throw throw blood on synagogues. They're, they're there to do to, to live a good life. They're doing their very best to do that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So I I just kind of made this decision where uh you know maybe my role here is to stay and then be willing to kind of help maybe shape the 
culture in a more healthy way or to, um, because I, I still genuinely believe that the people were going to be willing at some point and open to, to, you know, constructive criticism down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided to, to stay committed and, but I was now looking at situations with a more, um, critical, mm. critical, with more critical thinking. And I started to kind of just feel really uncomfortable with a lot of the methodical ways that, um, are really ultimately manipulative and how they grow the church. Mm. Um, yeah. And you can see that in, um, things like the the weekly prayer groups um, mm. in high school or uh, they do that a lot in the ministry house at, at like a house meeting um, where what that, that isn't, you're not meaning to discuss like, Hey, I, you know, I've been struggling with this situation in my own personal life. The, the, the prayer meetings are specifically about evangelism. It's always, geared towards how we're growing the church. Who are you bringing out? Uh, what are their names? And then somebody's writing that down, whether that's on a whiteboard or on a, in, in notepads. Um, and people are revealing information about the people that they're trying to reach out or bring into the church that is inappropriate and, and not, um, it's not edifying in any way. And so, for example, one example would be um, someone was discussing how they were bringing out this girl and she had been to, I don't know, cell group one time or something, and how she had confided in her that her uncle used to molest her and, and going on in details about this story and how clearly she was really gaining this person's trust. And she thinks that she's going to be able to get her to come out to to church because she's the only person she'd ever confided this into. And, and I was just like, I remember sitting there like, I, this is so you're violating her trust by sharing this with us. Um, mm, yeah. And, and was this something that, that happened a lot though? From what I understand, this is, this is, a, this is part of what you're telling me. Uh, you, and you're not the first person to tell me that. Other people have said that in, in where supposedly, you know, quiet, safe spaces that for prayer, that instead people start talking about other people's failings and issues and, 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 and how they can be used to kind of manipulate people into, Involvement with the group is—is is that something that goes on, you know, a lot? Yes, this is routine. This is the culture. This is how every meeting is. Um, you know, each conversation is going to look a little different, but this no, is what is expected in these meetings. Hmm. And it's a culture, I think, too, that you—I don't even think that this, like, in this specific situation, I don't think this girl was had any idea that she was violating this person's trust. Mm-hmm. I think that her intent in sharing it was to be like, look, look at the efforts I've made and they're being effective because there's this constant push that you need to be doing more. You need to be bringing out more people. You need to be 
taking on more projects. You need to be discipling more people. You need to be, there's just this, you can never just sit. Dennis calls it creating tension. Um, there, there always needs to be tension in order for there to be spiritual growth. So you can never just, um, exist within the body. You always have to be striving for more. And so I think what happens is there's this culture then the, of pressure and, and people are oversharing because they want to provide some kind of tangible proof that they are, are really, you know, investing and trying and, and mm-hmm. right. working in that, whatever. Um, but then what happens there is, so then that conversation then leads into, okay, well, you're going to bring her out next week. Let's do a teaching that, you know, her, her biggest hang up is, you know, how could God let bad things happen because she was molested? So now let's do a teaching on that so that we can most impact her and help the Holy Spirit reach her. And, and this type of thing happens all the time where it's these manufactured emotionally manipulative situations where people feel like they're, you know, they're coming out, they're being love bombed. People already know all of this information about them that they're not aware of. And so when speak, people are speaking to them, it feels like, oh, we really connect mm-hmm. or, oh, it, it's this manufactured relation, relating right. that, that isn't authentic. Right. Uh, right. And that's another sign. <laughs> Excuse me. There's a, yeah. here's, here's time out, but, but for, for Robert, just kudos for uh, Dr. Lifter's work. That's another sign of, of, of cultic mind control. It's called mystical manipulation. It's when, it's when people are led into a situation and whether it's, whether it's, uh, it's, uh, 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 uh whether it's, uh, seemingly spontaneous or, 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 or a contrived part of programming in terms of, of, of an influence or experience. People are led in situations where they are just, just brought into some sort of contact with, 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 with God's divine, with God's divinity, with the power of God because, because they've just had some miraculous thing happens. Something can, some connection within them that helps them show that there's this, that there's this divine power at work, uh, amongst them. When really, like you just said, it, it was just entirely, um, contrived. It was, it was completely programmed. It was completely, um, uh, intentionally set up. And, and people, like you said, in emotional situations will get in there and see, Oh man, maybe this is where I need to stay. Maybe, maybe God wants me to stay here because, because these people are just being so loving and caring for me. And again, that's, that's part of the love bombing. It's, it's all one big thing that, that really works it here. And, and, and that's again, you know, and I, I, I appreciate your patience with me working, discussing this point because as we know, Xenos has an incredible amount of apology it does for itself, for its existence and, and goes to great lengths to explaining why it certainly is not a cultic movement. But, but by this very standard, it, it's proving that it is. It, it's, right. it's proving that, it, that it, that's exactly what it, what it performs in. And, um, and that's something you say is part of the culture. It's, 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 it's something that people have been taught to do as leaders throughout the entire, the entire enterprise. Yeah. And I also, I, I would just want to point out too that, that I think that there's this attitude that 
these are student ministry problems. There's a lot of focus on, you know, the ministry houses. And and I think that, that that's good and that's appropriate because those are the, the highest amount of control that you have, that they have. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a lot of abuse when you're literally living with them seven days a week. Right. But I think that there's also this kind of, uh, and I have specifically been told this since I've left, by multiple people. Yeah, yeah, the, the student ministry's like that, but the adult ministry isn't like that. And, and that's just not true. Mm-hmm. The same type of behavior is also happening in the adult groups where, um, people are encouraged to t- tell their leaders about how other people are doing in their group. And then, um, it used to be a, a weekly report or, uh, or a monthly report. I'm not sure exactly what it is now. Um, but, but the leaders, the home church leaders in the adult groups are then taking these with the names of the people that are coming, mm-hmm. attendance, and then they're typing up a summary of how they're doing, who's doing what, who's mm-hmm. bringing out what, what, who, who's in conflict, whatever mm-hmm. the, their blurb is and then all of those go to the elders um and the elders review all of this stuff okay so this idea that things are happening that the elders aren't aware of i i i don't think is true i think and and i just think that and and if you know that this stuff is happening it kind of makes you feel a little less comfortable that people aren't sharing information about you and if you don't know what's happening you're more likely to be manipulated by the mm-hmm. tactics if that makes right. sense so oh, yeah absolutely because for, for, for every person i have spoken with uh has made mention of that very fact is that is that despite what they say uh despite what we were told uh by in our meeting with uh kate and and um and um uh, uh, Conrad, I'm sorry. Uh, the, these folks who are, you know, I think pretty upper level leaders in, in Xenos, despite what they claim and despite what they, uh, what they infer is that there actually is an awful amount of very rigorous, very, uh, detailed documentation going on in which basically Xenos keeps files, detailed files on any and everything that they find out about people that, that they, they feel that they could, that they have to keep. Uh, in order to, uh, get some sort of, uh, let's just say spiritual authority over them and, and, and enables them to assert it in ways that are just beyond belief. Uh, th- that's what I'm seeing over and over. And you're, again, you're just confirming it once more. And, uh, so what, what can you, uh, there are several different forms that I've seen or several I've actually received that people have, I mean, out of the blue, I didn't ask for this stuff. Okay. <laughs> but people just start sending me all this stuff. <laughs> copies of it and I'm, 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 I'm just amazed at the amount of, of micromanagement that that Xenos leaders uh, seek to get over over their over the uh, the people there yeah it's it's um it's very intense I mean if you look at the in the LTC classes um, which once you complete those you can join the servant team and be a what they call a deacon and there's you know, 600 to 800 deacons in the church. Um, and in that, there's a 38-page document um, called 
personal discipleship, I believe. Um, and it is just detailed all of these types of questions that you should be asking your, the people that you're discipling on a regular basis. Um, and you, I mean, if you look at like on page 35 of it, there's detailed questions about you should be checking the married people's sex life, including the frequency and the satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ultimate over and over in that document, there's, many places where they're saying um, you need to be encouraging people to join the support team, the fiscal support team. Uh, God is your provider. Um, so it's a black and white choice to serve God by giving. Um, you need to probe about their, they say probe and ask about their giving. How do you view your retirement? How generously and regularly do you give your money? How much debt do you have? Are you spending money on your wants instead of giving it to the church? Um, just that are, I just feel like that's, those are insane things to be asking people regularly to be micromanaging their finances, um, and to be telling leaders that this is what they should be asking. Um, yeah. And this is something that you began to see, uh, you began becoming privy to these records at, at what age? I mean, when did you start knowing that, that this was going on? Well, I started taking the leadership training classes because you can take them whenever you want. Right. Um, and I started taking them, um, I would have been 14 or 15 when I started. Wow. Um, so I was, I was a, I don't know, maybe it was the end of my freshman year that I started in, in their classes. So one, you know, once a week I'm taking a night class there. Um, because my goal at the time was that I would have it, it's a two year, if you take, it takes two years to go through all the classes. Um, and so at the time I was like, well, by the time I'm, I turn 18, I'll have all of the classes finished and then I can, I can be on the servant team and I can, I, I was really, I mean, just all in. Um, yeah. And so that's why I was starting these classes younger than most people would. But, um, and so it was perfectly natural for Xenos to then persuade you or just indoctrinate you. You didn't have a choice. You indo- that, that's perfectly fine to have this kind of intrusion into your life. It's perfectly normal. Yeah, it's normal. It's not only normal, it's, it's, it, you know, it's expected. Yeah, yeah. And so you went along with it, and and that's obviously something that this paperwork that you knew was kept and you should be kept. So, um, so so what else? So, so continue. I'm, I'm I'm sorry I'm interrupting you a lot, but but you're, you're telling me a little about what were some of the other things that you saw that began really, like I said, didn't add up. Um, you know. I, I started seeing how the biblical counseling um, was being run with in ways that were um, really unethical. There was a lot of unethical influence applied in all aspects of someone's life. And there was a lot of coercive control. And you can look on the site and, and see um, Bev DeLashment has a paper where she talks about how you should be communicating um, everything that someone's telling you 
in their counseling sessions to their home church leaders. Um, and that only in some circumstances yeah. should that person be made aware that they're being, that these things are being communicated to their home church leaders. So your counsel uh, is immediately just something that should be reported, obviously. Right. And that's just yeah. consistent with this consistent with what you're saying about the, the paperwork. But now you have Beverly Lashman, who's obviously a, a very high level leader in, in Xenos, right. telling everybody it's, it's just absolutely vital. It's, it's normal. It's just, just something matter of fact <laughs> that you just go ahead and you basically, uh, uh, spill, uh, trusted confidences with, with home group leaders in the mid that you derive from, from what counseling situations? As, 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 as a leader? Yes. Man. Wow. That's just unreal. That's yeah. just unreal. And these policies are also then put out so that people can be, can be lay counselors because if you're, if you're a home church leader, if you're discipling someone, then you should also be able to provide biblical counseling. And so what they have is just this, they've just created this culture where abuse can be rampant. People don't even mean to necessarily abuse someone, but they're just not, um, qualified to be handling certain issues, right. um, but the church is telling them that they are. And I think that's why you see a lot of suicides in the church. And you see, um, you know, you, when you, when the founding elder of your church is in a teaching going, uh, m- mocking suicide, and saying that it's just a te- attention-seeking behavior, and that if we just ignored these kind of things, that it would go away because people are just looking for attention from leadership. Um, that that's really sad to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's true. That's, that's what you're seeing. Yeah, uh, that, that's an abomination. That's not even pastoral counsel. That's just that's just some of the most. That's that's basically shooting the wounded. In, in, any, in any case, that's just that's just off. And that was by Dennis McCallum. I understand that's that's one of his one of the more yeah. infamous things. I know he's he's, he's known of, of having said, in which we certainly want to document more later. So so if you're saying you had a problem with the biblical counseling part of it being that intrusive, what, at what point did you start struggling with that? Um, when I'm finding out that, that people are being hurt by this, that I know, um, that their information is being shared and they're being re-traumatized by this information, by people Mm -hmm. knowing this stuff. Um, and then I, you know, there were other things that I would sit, I was on the, the leadership team and I would, um, maybe there were things that were being said that I didn't agree with and I, I would speak up. Um, and there was one instance that is very vivid in my mind where I was the only one, there's like 35 of us in this room, and I'm the only one who's saying, I don't agree with this decision, I don't understand why we're doing this, because they were closing the CT and you had to be a member of a small group in order to be in this, to, to come to CT. I don't know, it doesn't really matter what the issue was, but I, I didn't agree with it, and I was I was nicely, I wasn't being argumentative, but I was like, I, I just don't understand why we're doing this. And I was the, the, I was being perceived as though I was being a troublemaker. Yeah. When it was my understanding that that was the point of why we were having these meetings was to get everybody's input and, and not for it not to be an echo chamber. But, um, and so we did this vote and everybody votes for whatever to pass. And I'm the only one who votes against it. And 
after this meeting, I had seven people individually come up to me privately and say, Hey, everything you said was right. I totally agree with you. Um, I just didn't, it'll paint a target on my back if I speak out. So I'm sorry that I didn't back you up in there. And, and okay. that was more frustrating to me than anything yeah. that people who are in leadership don't even feel like they can speak their mind because it's, they're going to get hell for it later. It's going to, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? I, I don't know if I'm clearly stating that, but. No, you're very clear. <laughs> I mean, very clear. Yeah. It's, it's definitely quite clear. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just a point where you can't think for yourself. You can't, you can't have honest disagreement. And I think that's the, that's the sign of the health of any organization, any church, any cult. <laughs> it it's ultimately comes down to how you handle dissent. Well, well, obviously if God's speaking at the top and, and his mouthpieces are all beneath him, and if, if you're not one of those mouthpieces, then obviously, uh, you're wrong. You know, in, in a cult, there's only one, there's only one, uh, dimension of, of, of an argument, uh, you're wrong. Uh, because yep. there is no argument. Right. So. And they have a policy. Their policy is that if there's a dispute between a leader and, and someone below them. So if someone who's above me, if I have a dispute with someone who's above me and the leadership, you know, continuum or whatever, that, um, that the church will take the leader's side instead of the members. Really? So I think that that's where you see I mean, you, you're going to see it on smaller scales, but then I think that's where you end up seeing these larger, more damaging scales of like, you have a paid biblical counselor on staff at Xenos and a home church leader who sexually assaulted double digits of women and the church covered it up and said it was just consensual sexual sin um, and I, I wonder how many times people had complained about this person, um, who I knew that were then just told, you know, there wasn't irrefutable proof, um, because that is the policy that there needs to either be irrefutable proof or, um, that, that there would be other signs that, that a leader was, uh, in sin, and if they don't see these other fruits, diseased fruits, then then you take the leader's side, and the member is wrong. So um, let, me see, let me see if I understand this correctly. Did um, and maybe I misunderstood you, but did you just say that there was a leader in Xenos, a, 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 a leader, uh, like I said, somebody, somebody in charge of a home church, whatever? There was a leader in there that actually was recognized as, as a leader in, in leadership. Who actually was involved in, in sexual uh, assaults, sexual improprieties, and and he was continually let go. Or, or did, did I understand that right? Um, he was on staff as a biblical counselor at. Oh my God! And he was also leading a home church, and he was a full-grown adult, and these things were happening to, you know young college kids. So you've got like, you know, 18, 19, 20. Um, and the church released a statement to the college group email that said, 
James Rashford uh, was the one who wrote it, and he said that it was sexual sin, um, I believe are the words he used. All the way around. So so every time he said double digits, so double digits, let's just say 10, okay, a minimum. So there were 10 instances in which this man was sexually in in impropriety at the very least. I mean, mean, I'm I'm, I'm talking at the very, very, very minimum. He was sexually in sin with 10 individual women, and yet he he continued to be in his position, and they knew him. No, they fired him. They didn't fire him. They did fire him. They encouraged the girls uh, not to go to the press or the police. And I think, and then, and then the way that they're wording the email is just intentionally deceptive. Um, it, you know, let's call it what it was. He was sexually assaulting these girls. He had power over them. There was a power imbalance. There was manipulation. There was coercive control. And and I. I know that people, I don't know with, with the sexual assaults, but I know that people had had issues with his leadership before. And so I, I really doubt that, that when this all came out, that this was the first time that they had ever heard something negative oh, about sure. his leadership. Sure. And so I, I think that that's where you, you see these kind of policies where you're going to back the leader first over a member unless mm-hmm. there's irrefutable proof. That's not. Yeah. A safe church. Yeah, absolutely. Doctrine of a person. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Wow. And, and, and this is something that came up while you were in, in you were exploring, you know, in, in leadership positions. You were, you were there starting to serve as one. Well, I, that, that particular situation happened after, um, I had physically left. Okay. But, um, I was still connected to the church. Um, so I'll just try to quickly sum up. I, I, the reason I, I started to stop coming, I had been asked to split a home church, to join another home church, to split it. Um, and it was sprung on me. I didn't know that the conversation was about to happen. I didn't, I I had no idea that this is what I was going to be asked to do. And my response was that I wanted to think and pray about it. Um, And the elder son who was in charge of this home group, um, he flew off the handle and became really enraged and said that, that as my leader, because he was older than me, um, that he was telling me that that this is what God's will was and that I, this is where the church needed me and this is where I should be and that I needed to just acquiesce to that. And, and I was like, you don't get to speak for God. I'm allowed to say that I need some time to think about it and pray about it. Right. And he was like, no, we have to make a decision this week. You need to answer me right now. Um, and, and it turned into a, a whole thing, but I was like, you don't get to speak for God to me. Um, and he confronted me four days later in front of like 30 people, uh, at the CT and went through the whole thing again. And I, and I just said, you, you don't speak for God. I don't care that your daddy runs, started the church. You don't get to, you don't get to speak to tell me what God's will is for my life. And I'm allowed to say, I want to pray about it. Um, and so because I didn't agree to split that church, 
then I was told that I wasn't allowed to join another church. Um, so I was kind of floating for a little bit. And I decided I was going to take a step back. And I was just going to CTs. And I was still kind of going to prayer groups. And um, I was fellowshipping with people that I um, wasn't joining the small groups. And as I was able to, and so instead of six out of seven days, I'm I'm doing Xenos stuff. I was I had more days, and the space started to allow me to kind of start processing things more. Like uh, the cognitive dissonance started to wane a little bit, um, and it started to make me question mm-hmm. whether I wanted to sit under that leadership, um, and so. I ended up um, kind of taking a step back, um, and I decided that I just kind of wanted to be a normal teenager for a minute, and because um, I was, I was just, I was very upset and hurt by the things that had been happening, and I, I couldn't reconcile it. Um, mm-hmm. Right. But I had always kind of planned to go back, um, and and get back into a home from a small group and lead and um but I anyway so I, st- I I started dating this guy who wasn't in the church but said he was a Christian um and I had been dating him for eight weeks um and I drank with him this one night and um I he intentionally got me to the drunk and he was spiking my drinks and he he raped me in the middle of this um party and I was trying to push him off and tell him no um and there was so much shame from that that I didn't recognize that it was um rape that I recognized it as this is a consequence of me being in the world that if I had stayed in Xenos this wouldn't be happening because that's how we were taught um and I felt a lot of shame and I, I ended up marrying him because for some reason in my head, if I, if I married him, then premarital sex wasn't a sin, um, or it wasn't as bad or, uh, you know, yeah, because it was your absolution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I ended up in this really, uh, abusive marriage that had, that I didn't recognize as abuse because I had been, groomed my whole life to accept that you know emotional and psychological and spiritual abuse were acceptable and that they came with love um and so i'm experiencing all of this stuff in my marriage and i'm not recognizing it um and i was still so i wasn't attending the physical church but i was still watching the or listening to the the teachings online, I was still following the doctrine because I thought that the the doctrine sound I was just hurt by some people who sinned against me, which is always their kind of party line. Yeah. Um, and I still wasn't able to identify all of the broken applications of that theology that um, negatively were impacting my life. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was married to him. It took me. A decade of marriage where I said, until I finally, I got myself into counseling and I, and I said, you know, if I stay in this marriage, I'm going to kill myself. There's no other way out. So, um, I either need to, to divorce him, which 
felt like a sin at the time or I mean to kill or I'll end up killing myself. And so I decided to pick the option where I would be alive. Um, and then through counseling, huh? I'm glad for that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But through counseling, that's when I started to really go through and unpack all of these misapplied and, and manipulated ways that they, teach things mm-hmm. um, and so and, and this is counseling right. outside the church now you weren't going back Correct. to Zenos for this at all so no no so this you were still going were you still going to church though during all this and and did they did you ever go and hear their side of things what they thought about at all or did you ever um, discuss this with them did I did you ever discuss the, the marital issues that you had during the 10 years with anybody in Xenos? Um, I did with some former leaders. I did reach out to some people, but I, I don't know that I articulated that I was being abused because I didn't realize that I was being abused. I see. Um, but I did, you know, I was directed to different teachings and things and mm-hmm. um, there's a, teaching that Doug has where she says that uh, your husband your husband knows your body better than you do and he'll teach you um, about your body and that you don't um, have the right to say yes or no any longer um, because your body belongs to God and to say otherwise is a worldview um, and so the, they were kind of reinforcing this concept that um, that there isn't really um, such thing as marital rape unless it's super violent. I mean, that to me that so I would I would cry when I was having sex, but um, it was sinful for me to say no or yeah. uh, that I didn't have bodily autonomy and and those teachings are just really damaging, um, and dangerous and. You know, when I was still in, I took one of the, I, I'm, I think it's called biblical womanhood, whatever class it is, um, as part of, you know, LTC and all of that. And one of the things that they talk about is that when you're, when you're married, you should be, as a woman, you should be sleeping naked so that you're, you're ready whenever your husband wants. Um, you should always be readily available. Oh so those God. are the types of teachings that were kind of reinforcing oh Lord. the behavior, that, the abuse that I was enduring. Yeah. And I know I, 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 I told part of my story semi-publicly, and I had over a dozen people reach out to me privately, and so I'm not ready to tell my story, but the same thing has happened to me. And it breaks my heart that... Um, I know that there are people in the church that are still experiencing this abuse. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um I, I I just I I just want them to recognize that their teachings are harmful. Um Absolutely. Yeah. Because there's such a power iniquity as you've already you've already mentioned, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, when we were talking to Kate, you know, she just and it, 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 it didn't come out in the in the discussion we had on the Zoom call, which they just posted all over the universe for anyone to see if they had the right URL on YouTube. Right. 
But in the emails she sent to me, she expresses this great outrage that, that we would even, and, you know, even infer that such a thing as, as, uh, uh, women being, uh, sexually, you know, um, or, 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 or anyway abused, yeah. uh, was somehow going on that, 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 that what men did was somehow being, being, uh, like just uh, overlooked. Or, or given short shrift, you know. But in other words, men men could be uh, certainly couldn't be mistreated. Uh, uh, I mean, women could be mistreated uh, unfairly uh, like that in, in Zenos because certainly as a woman, she, as a woman, she said she was outraged to hear that such inequities were, could be even considered going on. But 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 what you're telling me is is just the opposite. Yeah, and I mean, it's a even when I was in, it was a common. Practice where a, um, if a, if a woman in a ministry house had sex with a man in a ministry house, the woman would be the one who was excommunicated and kicked out. Yeah. And the man would be provided like support for his lust. Yeah. Um, that was, that's just, that was, that's, that's the culture, um, of the group. So to say otherwise is, is, uh, I just can't imagine that, that I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how she can say that. And, and, and maybe her experience is a little different because she was the daughter of an elder. So she may have been treated a little differently than the rest of us, but, um, there's I no way also, that you can not I would know. also think though that she's been privy to a lot more than, than most people do. And I think, uh, I don't, know, I don't, I don't want to mischaracterize, you know, her reaction because I, I really don't understand it. But, uh, uh, for me, it, it's just hard for me to believe that she's that ignorant of what's going on in Remnant or Remnant. <laughs> I'm talking about Remnant. She's. I'm sorry. I can edit this out. I, I'm just sorry that I, that she would infer that such a thing uh, could be going on, um, or such a thing uh, is is an outrage that 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 goes on in a place like Xenos within their groups because she knows. I, I think she knows more than she really wants wants to admit. So yeah, and it's about protecting the the church over everything, right? So you, oh, God bless you. You you endured these these this decade of chaos, and then you finally started getting counseling that finally uh, helped you understand uh, that what you were doing or what, or what your husband was doing was clearly you know uh, abuse. And monstrous and, and and a crime, and that you finally began realizing that uh, yeah you yeah you yeah you you were a person you mattered and that you certainly were someone that needs to be uh, taken care of. Uh, you weren't being cherished. You were being exploited. You were being used. So uh, so did so did you and you ended up actually ended up divorcing this this man or, or what, yes. how was how is that connected to your leaving the church in any way or, or did you finally what was the point you finally just decided you know to just things had to change well once i i um i, I mean i physically the last time i was physically in the church was 2007 or 2008 but i still continued to follow their doctrine online and still listen to their teachings and once i uh divorced him and i i started to so like four years ago is when I, I was like, I stopped listening to their teachings and I stopped engaging with, with that. Um, mm. Because I, that's when I started to really kind of deconstruct the, the 
inaccuracies and the the abusive teachings that were being told wow. uh, that I that were kind of ingrained yeah. in me. Um, and this idea that that you're suffering for Christ's sake um, is is so misapplied in that church. Um, and and the reality is that the suffering for Christ's sake means to endure the resistance from the world to the gospel, but it does not mean that um, an abuse victim is required to tolerate or suffer um, for right. evil's sake. And right. I think that they need to stop lying on on God's word about that kind of stuff and misapplying right. it to silence victims. Right, right. So, so, so it's been, it's been what, uh, 13, 15 years now. Uh, you've been, you've been away, uh, physically out, but then just in the last several years, you've started to really kind of look through it. What, what, what was, what's your journey been like? Uh, looking, I mean, I, I, you know, having to look at scripture and look at yourself and look to your relationship with God. What's it been like for you in, in trying to kind of figure that all out and, and, and kind of, you know, take a step back internally and say, okay, what, 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 do, what, what do I really believe? What do I really know? What, what's that been like for you? Um, I, it was, it's been, um, hard and it's been, initially it was, it was, um, scary, um, to face that, you know, what you've built your entire world around, um, you know, may not be as solid as you thought it was. Um, Mm, yeah. And it, it takes a lot of work to do and, and it gives me a lot, but it also gives me a lot of empathy for people that are still in. Um, mm-hmm. how it, it is very, it's, it's, da- it's daunting to start unpacking these things, to start facing these things, to start looking at them critically and eliminating the cognitive dissonance. Um, but it's also so like free and the relationships that I have now are so much more fulfilling. Um, and um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I just think that there's a lot of hope and and healing, and that there's a lot yeah. of good on the side of the of the bridge. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah. So there's been a freedom that's come by just uh, stepping back and thinking for yourself. Yeah. And picking <laughs> up that Bible and trying to disassociate the voices you heard. Yeah, that's one of the things that a lot of people struggle with once they leave leave a movement like Xenos or or cult or an abusive church and but they want to retain faith. They want to they want they want definitely want to keep a uh what relationship they, they believe they have with God intact. And that's it's so hard because it's because a a system like that fragments you so completely that you feel so destroyed and that as if everything you ever believed really is all in question. It's all it's all up to, up to, to to reinterpretation, and but that's not always a bad thing. You know, reinterpreting and, re- and relooking back at what you're doing is is always a uh, I think a, a good step of personal development. And uh, and I think, as I said, as 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 we as you've shared, you know, it's it's so it's so liberating to actually be able to do that on your own terms. You know. Uh, I like to say to people as I counsel them, so if, if, if God is who he, who he says he is, uh, then, then he can certainly show you what truth is. And, and that's, that's, that's his, that's his job. 
That's his right. job. He, he's able to do that without anyone um, making you feel a certain way because of some, some group dynamics you went through. Right. And, and that's just something that I think is part of, of, of the, uh, the process of growing and moving beyond a place like Xenos. So, well, I, I really appreciate your sharing. Uh, and I, I really thank you for, for being as honest and as, and as, uh, as just, you know, very open, uh, with, with your struggles and, and with what you've seen. And, uh, uh, what I'd like to do is as we, as we, as we wind up our, our podcast days is, is give you an opportunity to just to maybe say something, uh, say something that maybe, maybe leave a message, maybe send a message to folks. They're still there in Xenos who might be listening and I'm sure we're going to have them. Uh, I know that our, our podcasts, uh, I mean, I have, They've really jumped up since we, <laughs> we've got a lot more engagement, um, that we can tell through our metrics and primarily from, uh, the Columbus, uh, Ohio area. We've had a lot of people, uh, more, a lot more, uh, 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 traffic and people, uh, downloading, uh, with, during these, these podcasts. And so, and, and so what we try to do uh, it's, 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 and what I'm trying to do is when I interview people is give them an opportunity to maybe share from their heart, uh, just something they'd like to, to, to maybe say back to, to people who are in Xenos who might be listening or yeah, maybe you have friends, family or anybody else that, that you may know that's still be involved. Uh, is there something you maybe you, you'd like them to know or like, I'd like to share with them, like to, you'd like to say? Yeah. So I think that I would just start out, um, and I want to be really clear that I'm not um, attacking you guys, um, that I am speaking because I genuinely care about the people that are in that church, uh, that, um, and, and that my, my, I, I'm crying out for you to, kneel with the wounded um, and to care about the stories that are being told, to listen to understand instead of listen to argue and defend. Um, Mm, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, there's this kind of idea that we're, we're airing your dirty laundry and, I don't think that's a negative thing. I think that, um, that it's time that, that the church does its laundry, uh, instead of taking the laundry and that's dirty and hiding it in corners and pretending it doesn't exist. And this gangrene is just then taking over. Um, it's time to wash the laundry, do it, air it dry. That's Mm -hmm. where the healing is going to become, is going to come. Um, and something practical I would love to see from the church is for them to be willing to maybe hire a third party, um, organization to come in and review, um, and interview and, and look for abuse. I mean, like the Psalm 82 initiative or, you know, whatever that, that you would be willing to, to audit yourself. Um, and take practical steps. Stop. You can, you can rebrand your church, but what you don't get to do is rebrand people crying out for accountability and say it's spiritual attack. That's not what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not being attacked by Satan. You're, you're, people are crying out for accountability for the things that they've experienced. Right. Um, 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that time. That's very, a very timely message for us. Uh, one of the, one of the scriptures, uh, one of the Testament scriptures say that judgment begins at the house of God. And, mm-hmm. uh, judgment is, is what is, and that, that doesn't mean divine, you know, uh, brimstone, fire from out of heaven, you know, hundred pounds, flaming, uh, hailstones falling from the sky. That's, that's not the judgment that, that, that's being referred to. What the scriptures context really means is that judgment, discernment, understanding, weighing the, the, the difference between right and wrong, that begins at the house of God. And, and, and if it, and if it, if the house of God, of God becomes a subject of it, so be it. Uh, that's what it has to be. And if we're, if we're going to call ourselves a called out community, a koinonia, if we're going to call ourselves a fellowship, a people where, where people are truly being molded into the image of Christ, and then, then we have to understand how far that, that we, that we fall, and that we, no matter who we are, uh, uh, we're all still in need of a savior. And seeing this is Holy Week, uh, uh I, I, this seems like an appropriate, uh, an appropriate uh, thought for today. So, um, um, man, Jessica, thank you so much. I thank you so much for the time you spent. I, I, I really appreciate, uh, your sharing with us today. And thank you once again. We, we look forward to, uh, getting this posted. And I want to thank you once again, uh, for just being so honest. Uh, I appreciate that. I'm sure everyone else listening today, will certainly uh, draw an awful lot of, of, of reflection on what you shared today. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going. Our prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and, if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.